defiled, messed up, jacked up church you're ever going to find in the scriptures. I think it's very proper that God uses that church to teach you and I, as Laodicean Christians, about what this service means. But he lets you know that when there is sin in the camp, when there is sin in the church, that the church is obligated to deal with that sin. And you know, in this day and age, we don't do that. We don't like to discipline anybody in the church. And the reason being is because the American church has turned into a Fortune 500 system in which is how do we grow it bigger, bigger, and bigger? Who cares if it's pure as long as we get the numbers? And what happens is when we come down on people that are impure, and what happens is, is God says, okay, if you're not going to keep my church pure, if you're not going to deal with sin, then I take my hand off of it, which is worst case scenario. But what happens is what we do is go, well, God, if we deal with sin, people will leave. And there's all these other marketing churches out there that will market to those people and they'll leave our congregation. Okay, let me just stop to say this. Please understand what I'm saying. I don't care if every one of you leaves as long as God doesn't leave. I mean, seriously, who's more important in this service than him? And by the way, we could pack out an arena, and if he doesn't show up, what's the point? It's, it's all about Jesus Christ. And so Jesus Christ says, I want it pure. And he goes, I don't want any leaven in my church. Because just a little bit of leaven creates a lump. And, and, and he says, listen, I want you as a church to deal with that. And so baptism protects our front door, but when it comes to the dealing within our church, communion protects the back door. It protects what's going on. Because what we're going to present here today is the true biblical understanding of communion. And what I am about to tell you is, guys, what we're about to do is the most serious, the most nerve-wracking thing I'll ever do in Christ. And the reason being is, According to scripture that we're going to read, if you do this, and you do it outside of your heart being right with God, according to scripture, you literally drink damnation unto yourself. That's serious. And man, I, I see why I no longer wear these fancy shoes. They're up here cracking all over the place, and, and you guys stuck a table where I normally preach. And so... I'm up here. This is old school here, man. I mean, so either way, where was I? All right. Now, so when we do this, it's a very serious deal. So when I announce that we're going to have communion, and I know as a pastor when we're going to have it, I do more self-inventory at that moment in my life than I ever do. Because I know, man, God, I got to make sure my life is right. Forget being a pastor. I'm about to partake in what you clearly showed us in the book of Corinthians, that people were sick, and even some died because they did it wrong. Woo! Man, you talk about, I, the, you know, if you baptize wrong, you don't die. If, if you skip Sunday school, you don't die. A lot of people would be dead already, right? But according to Scripture, this is the one event. You do it wrong, God says, hey, my chastising hand will come down on you. That's a scary thought. 
And so when we approach this table, there is such a self-inventory going on in my life. And I believe because of the way we teach it, when we announce that we're going to be doing this, how many of you sat around this week going, ooh, I need to examine myself a little bit more. I need, to, I need to really look deep down in the recesses of my life and make sure my heart's right with God. I'm not talking about being sinless. That's not what we're talking about. There's a difference between sinless perfection that will not happen on this planet and having your heart right with God. Okay, And, and yet, here's what he's challenging us with. He's saying you need to be right with God before you do this. Now let me just say this, and I haven't even read a scripture yet. Guys, you would be better off not to partake than to partake and not have your life right with God. So therefore, I want to make sure that we're presenting this correctly. So if you got your Bibles, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 through 31. We won't read all the verses uh, right now. We'll, We'll break them down as we go. But look at verse 17. He says, Now, in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not that ye come together not for the better, but for the worse. He says, for first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must be also heresies among you, which, boy, what a word, that they, may, they which are approved may be made manifest among you when ye come together therefore into one place this is not to eat the lord's supper for in eating every one taketh before his own his own supper and every one is hungry and another is drunken what have ye not houses to eat eat and drink in or despise ye the church of god and shame them that have not what what shall i say unto you Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. Then he goes in, he says, For I have received of the Lord that which I deliver also unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup which he had, when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, in this do, all, do ye as often as ye drink it in my remembrance. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever, listen to this, shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. Notice what it says. And I'm going to deal with this. Examine yourself. We have a tendency to look across aisles and pews and say, yeah, that guy needs to get right with God. Yet you might want to start with the man in the mirror. Examine yourself. Am I right with this guy? Now, let me, let me just say this. There has been times in this church, I know one time in particular, and neither one of the two people go here anymore, and the one lady, our deacons come by, and they offer it up, and, and the one lady said no, and the other one hit her friend and pointed. Do you know how out of line that is? Matter of fact, if you do that, you'd be better off not to take it. 
Because the bottom line is this. That person's standard of having their heart right with God may be just higher than yours. And they actually may be even living closer to God, but they say, hey, you know, there's some things going on in my world right now. I just don't feel comfortable enough doing it right now. And if they choose not to partake, okay, I'm good with that. If you choose to live like Satan himself and you choose to partake, I'm good with that. Because the Bible said, let a man examine himself. It's not the job of the deacons. It's not the job of the pastors to decide who takes, who doesn't take. That is your decision, whether you do or whether you don't. He says, for he, now listen to this, look, look at verse 28, but let a man examine himself, so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, talking to the church, and many sleep. That's how I know he's talking to the church. Because when lost people die, the biblical answer to that is they're dead. Do you know what the Bible uses for Christians who die? Sleep. Not soul sleep. They sleep in the Lord. In other words, there is an intent of them getting back up in the resurrection. And so when God says, listen, those, there's many that sleep, he's saying, listen, we had some men and women who trusted Christ as their Savior. They got their life out of sorts with God. They partook of this in an ungodly, unworthily way. And so I went ahead and brought them home. Because God says, listen, you can live such a way that you're bringing such a shame to my name, you'd be better off up here with me than down there shaming my name okay now i won't read anymore i'll talk about it later on about the judging of ourselves. but i want to quickly get in i'm going to have three or four points here real quick that we're going to talk about and then we're going to have this supper together and then we'll go about uh, the rest of the day with our family but what i want to do is implant into your mind how awesome and privileged we are to be able to partake of this especially at this holiday season uh, they got to singing about emmanuel by the way, I don't know how you can read that there's no Trinity when the very name Emmanuel means God with us. And yet, all of a sudden, here's this baby born. And I was over there in Bethlehem a few months ago, and I, and I was in that area. And man, think about Mary as she's holding that baby. Those little fingers, those little blue veins that were carrying the lifeblood of the New Testament church. And yet, here's this baby that was born that day. And the very body and the very chromosomes that put together that body that came out of her was going to be the very body that was broken for your and I's sin. So when I think about Christmas, I'm not thinking about some babe in a manger. What I'm thinking is the God-man coming to this planet to die on a cross for you and I. So I don't know of a better time to celebrate the communion. So let's talk about the sacredness. As I said, very solemn. As a side note, our deacons do not decide whether you take or not. One of the things that I made sure my kids for many years didn't take of this. And I understand with children's church and, and all that, we don't have a lot of children in here. But parents, that's your decision. It's not our churches. 
But I wanted my children to know and be raised in such a way that what we were about to do was not fun and games, but it was absolutely to be taken with a sacredness about it. And I wanted them to fully understand after, now they had to be saved first anyway, but for many years after salvation, I said, no, you will, you will get to take part in that when I deem as your dad that you're ready to fully understand what's going on. And I don't know what year that was. That's been a few years back. And obviously my kids partake in it now. But because they can understand the severity of what's going on here. And I wanted them to understand that, listen, this is not to be taken lightly. And so we're looking at the sacredness of it. Now notice what he says. I, he says, I hear there's some divisions among you. I can assure you if there was problems in this church, if there was some divisions going on, we would not be doing this. We'd be better off to do something else, but we will not partake in this unless there is a unity within this church. That's why the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16 and 17, says the cup, he's talking about what we're talking about here, he says, he says that communion of the blood, the word communion is the same word, it's connected to the word unity. And what it's supposed to be is that you and I as a church are going to come together in unity, not only one to another, but unity with him, and we are going to commune together. It's actually where we get our word communicate or communicate one to another. And so what we're doing is communicating with the Lord today, and we are expressing to him how much we love him for his, the fact that he died for us, shed his blood, and gave his life for us. And you know how terrible it is? For us to come and tell God how much we love Him for dying for us, and yet we went out and lived like the rest of the world lives? Hey God, we think so much of you and what you did for us on the cross that we've lived just however we wanted to live. Now we want to come in and have communion with you. Listen, I'm sorry, there's not a man in this building that would put up with his wife living like a harlot and then coming in for a Christmas dinner and wanting to play family. And yet God says, listen, do not, as my church, go live like the rest of the world and then turn around and think we're in communion. We're in fellowship. It's sacred. What we're about to do is very, very sacred. That's why he says, I beseech you, brethren. And, and by the way, you guys have heard, this is our church's verse. If I had a verse that we plastered somewhere on a wall, somewhere around here, it'd be this one. I now beseech you, brethren, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. And so as we come together as pastors, as deacons, as a church family, there cannot be any division in order to do this. Because if there was, we'd just shut it down. It's too sacred of an event. For us to take haphazardly we're going to come together in unity and bound together in our love for christ and our holiness for christ now he goes on he says for he says listen there's some of you you're coming in here you're eating your supper and then you're coming in here and you're you're treating it like it's a meal like ah let me get a little grape juice let me get a little bit of that cracker hey you got any more of that stuff that's pretty good and that's that's how like it's an hors d'oeuvre Hey, pass the hors d'oeuvres, deacons. No, 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 no. This is sacred. This is 
to put you in remembrance of what he did on the cross. This is not a cracker with some cheese passed around at the local party. This is absolutely one of the most sacred things you'll ever partake in this side of heaven. By the way, I'm going to talk about what you're going to do on the other side of heaven. Jude says it this way. These are spots in your feast of charity. Isn't it an embarrassment that when we come to the Lord to do this, if we do it in that kind of way, just a flippant attitude towards it, just a haphazard way of going about it, God says, those feasts were solemn, holy feasts. Matter of fact, in the Old Testament, they got nicknamed the Feast of the Jews, but do you know what the Bible calls those feasts? The Feast of the Lord. These were events where the nation of Israel came together to, to connect with God. And, and, and man, you talk about rules and regulations that they had to go by. And yet God says, do it that way. He says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and prayers. There's a connection. There's a sacredness to it. He goes on. He says they continued daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house and did eat their meat with singleness. Now, th there are times to have meals. We had one last Sunday night. This is not a meal. This is an event to bring your mind into remembrance to the very thing he did on the cross 2,000 years ago. And not only bring your mind to the remembrance of what he did on the cross 2,000 years ago, but what he did in your heart whenever that was. For me, it's November 1st, 1994, when the cross became evident that he died not just for the world, but he, became, he died for me that day. So not only the sacredness of it, but the symbolism of the Lord's Supper. Let's look at this symbolism. Now, notice what he says, and, and, and it's on the front of this table. Matter of fact, we call it the Due Remembrance Table. That's the nickname of the table. I, I don't know where that came from. I don't know where all that started. Matter of fact, most services, this table's not actually out here. To some people, that's sacrilegious. To me, it's, I, I don't, why do I need it out here if we're not having the service? Matter of fact, I think the table means more in the fact that we only bring it out on that special occasion. Now, now focus. He said, this do in remembrance of me. Now, is he talking about, hey, when you take of this, remember me as a person? Remember my great teachings? Remember my, my walk on the water? Remember, remember me when I was showing them how to fish on the other side of the boat? That's not what he's talking about. There is something specific about himself that you're supposed to be remembering. And he says, listen. This event is to show you, look at the words, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. So it's not only to put you and I in remembrance of what he did, but it's to show the world who he is in our world and that he died for us. This ought to be an opportunity to evangelize the world and to tell them how awesome and great our God is because he died for us. He gave his life for us. And that there is nothing I could ever do to repay him or to bring, a, 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 bring some way of, of gloating. There's nothing I bring to the table. What's funny is we're, we're coming to the table. And what part of this do you have outside of actually receiving it? 
you didn't die for my sin. You didn't shed your blood for my sin. He did. And so when I come and I take of this today, what it puts me in remembrance of is not the church. It doesn't put me in remembrance of the miracles. It doesn't even put me into the the remembrance of his great teaching. It puts me in remembrance of my Savior, God in human flesh, dying on a cross. And according to Scripture, in Corinthians, he said, He that knew no sin became sin so that you and I could become the righteousness of God. That's what I think of. And so when I actually bite in to that bread, my mind goes to that place. It goes to the place where Christ became real for me. Exodus 20, 12, 26. Now, focus on this. We have the Passover going on right here. And God says, here's what I want. I want the Passover. And he said, the Passover lamb's going to go. He said, but I want you to keep up this Passover feast when you come into that new land, and I want you to do it for generation and generation and generation. And here's why I want you to do it. So that when your little ones get up and they're little and they start asking some questions and go, Dad, why are we slaughtering this lamb? Why, why, what's up with the doorpost thing? What, what's going on with that feast? He says, I want you to do it to show the next generation who I am. And so that Passover supper got translated into what you and I are about to do on the night before he died. And yet, God clearly lets you know, I want the same thing. Look what he says. Ye do show the Lord's death till he comes. And for two thousand years bible believing christians have been gathering around a table much like this and they're partaking in it and what we're doing is not just showing each other but we're showing the next generation jesus died he died for you he died for me he gave his life he shed his blood this is what it's about now one thing you'll never see and and if you've been at another church or your church does it this way, this is no offense. This is how we run our church. Many churches tack this on at the end of a service. They just, hey, we're going to have service. We're gonna have, some churches have it every Sunday. Hey, do it however, whatever, that's great. The reason we don't is because, number one, we make it the full service. But number two is because we do it in such a way that it's so sacred and so solemn, you can't sit in this service and not think this is not a big deal. But if we just made it haphazardly every week, how long is it before, oh, yeah, my parents do that thing with the, the bread? and I don't know what all it means. We just do it every week. You say, well, that wouldn't happen. Sit around with some Catholics. Ray and Jonah run around here, got saved, accepted Christ as their Savior, and listened to all the traditional things they used to do and had no idea why they were doing them. We do not want that in this church. I not only want you as my members to know what we're doing, I want the little ones, the next generation, to know how sacred and symbolic this is. Now, notice what he says. He says, take eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. He says, this is the New Testament in my blood. So he's going to symbolically 
bring you into remembrance of two things. Number one, the body. Number two, the blood. And he lets you know through this. Now, the body, as I've spoken before, was represented by unleavened bread. Now, I'm not trying to go, you know, Dr. Science on you. But do you know what leaven is? It's the breakdown of sugars. The sugar molecules break down in, in, in the yeast, and they create a gas that rises up the leaven, or rises up the bread. And obviously there's no leaven in here, and God says that leaven pictures sin, and I don't want it in my body. I don't want my body represented with anything other than purity. Now hang with me. Now when you, they open this up in just a few minutes, you'll notice it's grape juice. We will never, ever use wine in this church, and if somebody else uses grape, man, I, that's your deal. We would never do that. You know why we would never represent the blood of Christ with wine? You say, well, that's what they did in the Bible. You better read it again. Fermentation, which is what's in wine, is the exact same word as leaven. And if you want to go Bill Nye, the science guy here, it's the same process as leaven and bread. It's the breakdown of sugars inside of the rotten grape juice creating alcohol. I would never represent the pure, holy, unadulterated blood of Christ with rotten grapes. Never. Never would. And man, i got to stay off the stage, man. So, so, so the bottom line is, guys, when we represent it, it's represented with grape juice. And the reason being is, if God doesn't want leaven in his body, he doesn't want leaven in his blood. Guys, you ever thought about the value? Think about how, your, how deep your sin debt is. Let's, let's stop for just a second and think about this sin. Solomon's temple, I, I just read this the other day. $22 billion if you want to make that thing today. I was just over there in Israel stood by the menorah that they're going to be putting in the new temple. $2.4 million for this menorah. So if you and I could pool our money and create this billions and billions of dollars to create Solomon's temple and we'd say, hey God, Look at this temple we've made for you. We want to offer it up to you for our sin. And he'd say, price is deficient. It's not enough. I was telling him over there, do you know, based upon what I can understand, Neptune, they say, because of the carbon that's in the atmosphere and the high pressure that is there, it literally rains diamonds. You imagine us getting on a spaceship, going over there to Neptune, and filling up bags full of diamonds. Go to God and say, God, I need to be able to pay for my sin. Look at all this diamonds. Price is innumerable. He'd say, it's deficient. Your sin costs more than that. The only substance on this planet or any other planet that has the value to give in exchange for your sin that would satisfy the holiness of God is the very blood that flowed through his veins. 
and you want to represent that value with rotten, putrefied grapes? No, no, no. We're going to represent that symbolism with absolute holiness and purity because that's what it costs to save your soul from an eternity in hell separated from God. So when we look at this, this is what we're looking at. Now, quickly, i got to get going here. He says, listen, when you do this, he said, I want you to do it as often as you will. Okay, how long do you want us to do it? Till I come. So when we're symbolizing, when we gather around here, not only are we looking back at the cross and what he did for us, but we're looking at the future of him coming again. And the reason being is because he tells us in Matthew, he said, listen, I'm not going to partake in this again until I come into the kingdom, my Father's kingdom, with you. You know what the Lamb's Marriage Supper is all about? The very service you're having right now, you're going to have it with Him, and according to Scripture, He's going to serve you. Now, I appreciate our deacons. They're awesome guys. But do you know how much it's going to pale in comparison? When God... goes here take part in this and so my prayer my hope is this is the last time I ever have to do an altar call I hope the next time I get to partake in this I'm actually gathered around a throne with nations and tongues and people and generations we gathered around the very Lamb of God that was slain from the foundation of the earth and be able to partake with Him. And not only are you drinking a juice then, but you're looking at the very body that died for you. He said, oh, come on. According to Scripture, He has nail scars still right now in His hands. And throughout all of eternity, You will never, ever forget what God did for you on the cross. The severity of the Lord's Supper. I've got to quickly move on. The severity. So we've seen the sacredness. We've seen the symbolic. We've seen the severity. Now watch this. He says, listen, if you do this unworthily, if you partake of this and your heart is not right with God, you literally drink damnation onto yourself you drink the chastising hand of god now now just stop you said does that mean i lose my salvation absolutely not there is nothing according to the book of romans chapter 8 31 through about 35 that can separate us from the love of god if you are saved you are saved eternally no matter what you do however there is a chastising hand of god that god says when you get out of line I will chastise you. Matter of fact, the book of Hebrews says if he doesn't chastise you, if you can live in sin and God never deals with that, God says, uh, this is a Bible word, not my word. He says you're a bastard and not a son. You are a a fatherless child is literally what that word means. And guys, do you understand how inappropriate it is for you to come to this table with sin in your life. I'm not talking about being absolutely sinless. I'm talking about not having your heart right with God. In just a few minutes, Jeff and 
Wendy's going to play and Jeff's going to sing. We're going to have an altar call. And, and man, can I encourage you that if there is something in your life, you may not want to actually walk down here, but you might want to bow where you're at and just, like David, God, search me. If there's anything in my life, let me confess it before you. Here's what the Bible says, 1 John 1, 9. Now, we're real big with 1 John 1, 9, right? We all like it. One of my favorite verses, probably my, one of my most used verses. He says, if we confess our sin, sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know what God wants you to do? Own it. We're in a world of a bunch of deniers. Adam, what are you doing? I was hiding. Why are you hiding? I was naked. Who told you you were naked? Well, God, it wasn't me. It was that woman that you gave me. So not only is it not my fault, it's not only the woman's fault, but it's also your fault, God, because uh, I didn't do it. God says, own it. That's what it means to confess it, own it, admit that you have done wrong to God. That's what he wants you to do, admit it. Come to him and confess it. But it's more important than that. Second Corinthians 7, 1 says it this way. And having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us, look at the word, cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit. Now how do you do that? By repentance. And a repentance is literally a word that means to turn away. Guys, I have a hard time believing that you go out and act like a hooligan and you just come to God and go, God, forgive me of that. And then the next day you're going to go out and go, well, you know, I'm going to go act like a hooligan, but that's all right. I got first John one night. That's not repentance. That is not owning it. That is a, hey, I got a get out of jail card free. As though God's a genie in a bottle. Well, God, you know, I cheated on my wife, cheated on my taxes. Went out, got drunk, wrecked my car. But that's okay. I'm confessing it before you, God. God's very clear that you've got to come to him with a contrite and broken spirit. And if you can be that kind of attitude when you're confessing before God, something has went awry. Now, hang with me. 1 John 5, 6 says, listen, there's a sin that is on to death. Then he turns around in John 5, 17, says all unrighteousness is sin. He says, but there's a sin not on to death. In other words, let me just put it to you in plain English. You can do some things in your life that God says, that's it. You're out of there. Then there's other things that you could do, and he's not going to kill you for it, but the chastising hand will come across you. say, I don't believe in any of that. Then you don't believe the Bible. You can't show me that. Really? Because I watched Ananias and Sapphire in chapter 5 of Acts drop dead for lying about the Holy Spirit of God. You say, what is that sin on the death? I don't know. I'm not God. Is it the same for all people? I don't know. I doubt it. I, whatever God deems in his holiness and just sovereign way, he deems it right or wrong. It's up to him. But the great thing is this next part, and I'm closing here. 
the self-examination before we take of it. So we're about to partake of this. And once again, let me reiterate, my deacons, our deacons, will not determine whether you take or you don't take. If you do choose not to take, they by no means will be judging you. That's between you and God. If you do take, they will not be judging you. That's between you and God. But here's what it says. Self-examine. That's why he said in verse 28, he says, listen, but let a man examine himself before he does this. He says, listen, if you judge yourself, you wouldn't be judged. That's the problem. Notice the word here. He says, but when we are judged, we are chastised of the Lord, chastened of the Lord. That's why I know he's talking to Christians here. It's connected to Hebrews. He's letting you know that the chastisement of the Lord is for those of the believer. And guys, what I'm trying to explain to you is we're about to open up the altar. If you want to get right with God, you may not need to get right. You may have already gotten right. You may live in a way that your heart is already right with God. If it is, great. But if it isn't, there's an opportunity. And I'm closing with this verse. Jeff can come get a song. Matthew 7, Jesus brings out a famous verse, right? He says, listen, why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considereth not the beam that is in thy own eye? Let me put it to you in modern day Corey Gordon speak. Your brother's got a speck in his eye, and you got a two-by-four hanging out of yours. And yet you want to pull him to the side while you got this beam hanging out, Going, uh, you got something in your eye. You need to get that right with God. That's what we do when we turn around and look at somebody else in this congregation and begin to judge them and think, well, they shouldn't partake of this. Oh, I can't believe she took. I know her. I know what she said. And she may not need to take. But whether she does or whether she doesn't has nothing to do with you, has nothing to do with us. It's between her and God. So let's stand to our feet. Let's raise the screen. We're going to have an altar call. If you choose to come, you choose. If you don't, you want to pray where you're at. We just want to make it available to anyone that wants to come and pray at this moment. Father, we love you. Man, as we come before you, we understand that you are absolutely holy. And that beyond our understanding in this human flesh, that your love for us and your grace for us is beyond measure. But at the same time, your holiness and your righteousness and your purity is equally beyond our understanding. So God, as we approach your table, we're taking the Bible literally. We do not want to take it unworthy. We want to take it with a pure heart before you. So God, help us as a church to get before you and pray and ask God, to search our hearts, to try our own hearts. Father, help us today. We love you. God, if, if there's any here today that's never been saved, God, let them come to the realization in their life that Jesus died for them and died for their sin, gave his life for them, and that they need him to have eternal life. Father, we thank you for all that you've done in Jesus' holy and mighty name.
my strength in thee this morn, child of weakness, watch and pray, find in me thine all in all, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe, sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow.
cross where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight and now I am happy all the day. Was it for crimes
is we have an enemy. It puts its throne daily. But Jesus, and he says, how they overcome is by the word of their testimony that they've been saved. But by the blood of the precious lamb, your only power to overcome the enemy is the blood of the lamb. And man, what a what a blessing it is to know that your sins have been washed away. Not by anything you've ever done, but simply by the blood of the Lamb. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read, and we're going to pray, and we're going to drink together. He says, after the same manner also, he took the cup, and when he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as ye drink it in the remembrance of me. So, Pastor Faroki, if you would, ask a blessing over the cup. Let's drink together. Now the scripture said that when they were done, they went and sang a song. Now, we probably won't do exactly like we've done in the past today because the amount of people in here, but I'm going to ask Jeff to come up and lead us in a song that our that my pastor instituted with this service called Thou Art Worthy, right out of the book of Revelation. But I would like to ask you to stand with us as we sing what we're going to sing at the throne in Revelation 4 and 5. As soon as we're done singing, you will be dismissed to go. However, let me also say, fine, Lily, and say it was a privilege to see her baptized. Man, what a blessing that is, guys, to be able to do that. So you come congratulate her, find out wherever she's at. So if nothing else, Brother Jeff, lead us in a word of prayer. I'm sorry, song. I got it. Thou art worthy. Thou art worthy.
Thy 